Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Steve Kenyon Podcast. I am Steve Kenyon, and uh, we are joining you today from Pendleton, Oregon, and the Pendleton Roundup. Pendleton Roundup continues through Saturday. The PRCA's Extreme Bulls finale taking place Monday and Tuesday night. Uh, we'll talk more about that in just a moment. A big-time performance by bull rider Stetson Wright. I wanted to start the show today with news from the world of bull riding. From ProRodeo.com, the superstar career of bull rider J.B. Mooney is over. Mooney, arguably one of the best bull riders of all time, told the Pro Rodeo Sports News that his bull riding career is over as a result of neck surgery he had on September 8th. The story from the PRCA reads this way. Mooney broke his neck when he was bucked off by Sankey Pro Rodeo and Phenom Genetics Bull Arctic Assassin September 6th during the Lewiston Roundup Division II Extreme Bulls event. I had surgery September 8th. They put a rod in and plates and screws and took a disc out, said the 36-year-old Mooney. Unfortunately, the surgery has ended my bull riding career. From PBR.com, Mooney took to Instagram and he wrote this, all I can say is it's been quite a party. Surgery went great, and I would like to thank everyone at St. Joseph Regional Medical Center for taking care of me. Unfortunately, with the surgery, it ended my bull riding career. Mooney, of course, a two-time PBR world champion. He won PBR world titles in 2013, winning both the PBR world finals event title and the world title that year. He came back and won a second world championship in 2015. Over $7 million in his career just in the PBR. Qualified for the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo in 2021. Started fast at that NFR. You might remember he won the first go-round but was injured shortly after that. I talked to Jay Bing Mooney before that first and only appearance at the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo and asked him about qualifying for the NFR after all the success he'd had in the PBR. Growing up, that's all I watched was the NFR. I mean, I watched PBR, but mainly it was the NFR growing up and uh you know i rodeoed when i was here all the way up through high school and then you know i decided to go the the bull riding route just strictly to the bull ridings and i rodeoed one year in 09 but it was hard trying to do both and i kind of laid off the rodeos and just stuck with the, the going to the bull ridings and then this year i decided i was i was getting to the, the age now i, I want to do something i better do it now so that was the the main objective this year was to make the NFR. Bull rider J.B. Mooney, that from 2021, just prior to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. J.B. leaves behind a legacy as one of the single toughest bull riders in the history of professional rodeo and obviously one of the most uh, successful. He wrote and in, in, in is quoted in this PBR.com article, I want my name to be right there at the top, he said. That is why I do this. I love doing it, but I want to be the best at it. I want to be right there at the top of those record books. I want people to remember me for who I am, hopefully for being one of the greatest bull riders ever. Mission accomplished. J.B. Mooney, thank you for all of the memories and uh, continued success and continued healing as uh, he gets over that broken neck that he suffered at the rodeo or excuse me the extreme bulls in lewiston and now has announced that he is retiring from the sport of rodeo and from bull riding 
As I mentioned, today's Steve Kenyon podcast is coming to you from the Pendleton Roundup in Pendleton, Oregon. They've kicked off all the action in Pendleton, including Monday and Tuesday night, the PRCA's Extreme Bulls finale taking place at the Happy Canyon Arena in Pendleton. It is a great setting for a bull riding. They seat about 4,500 people when it's completely full, and for two nights, the arena was completely full. A small arena keeps the bulls gathered up. They really buck. Stetson Wright Rode three out of four, won three out of the four go-rounds. It's a four-go-round competition. Three bull riders, Stetson, Josh Frost, and Creek Young, rode three out of four. Stetson, Josh, and Creek finished one, two, three at the event. But Stetson won the Extreme Bulls year-end tour title for the second straight year and the Extreme Finale for the second straight year. I had a chance to talk to Stetson Wright when it was all said and done and asked him about his last bull, an 89-point ride to wrap up the Extreme title. Oh, that, that last ride was awesome. Uh, Matt Sharping's been hauling that bull for a couple years now, and I've had some really good luck with him. So um, just everything you want in a bull turns back right there in the gate and, I mean, just gets it on. Refresh my memory. Is this your second Extreme Bulls Tour Championship, but your first Extreme Bulls finale win? Is that right? No, I won both won it last year, too. Yeah. Um, this this is an extra feather in the cap of a bull rider that's got to mean a lot to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, last year winning it, it was a really big deal, but winning a second time, it's, it's kind of like winning a second world title. You come back to show everybody it wasn't a fluke, and... I mean, it was pretty special today. You always tell me you don't count the money, but you're closing in on 300000 in the bull run. <laughs> I'm not counting the money, but I'm enjoying the ride. <laughs> <laughs> tell me about the rest of the season for you. Where are you going? How much more you got left? Um, I think I got a lot of rodeo left. I mean, Pendleton here, St. George, Albuquerque, and honestly, my dad does all the entrance. So I, I couldn't even tell you, but I know um, we're going to finish her strong. Right. Tell me about the bull you got drawn here in Pendleton. Um, I can't remember his name, but he's supposed to be – uh, he's one of wins. He's, actually, he's really good. I just can't remember his name. Up and down right there, one or two, and then either way. And I, I think 88 to 90 on him also. So I'm, I'm pretty pumped for that one. Last question. You just spent a half an hour signing autographs, talking to fans, doing all that outside. The fans here the last two nights have been unbelievable. Oh, yeah. The fans here are always awesome. And that's partially – well, that's a big reason why I sit out there is because they sit through these – long perfs and they, they never forget to cheer so whether I hit the ground or not they're they're always there to pick me up so I stand out there and hang out. Stetson thank you. Thank you. Bull rider Stetson Wright just won the Extreme Bulls finale. Bull rider Stetson Wright just won the Extreme Bulls tour title for the second straight year. Stetson won just under $30,000 at the Extreme Bulls finale. Checking the PRCA's website prorodeo.com on Wednesday morning after the Extreme Bulls finale was over. It lists Stetson as having $298,000 won in the bull riding and right now one of the, the things that Stetson has not accomplished yet in his career, and he's accomplished so much, winning the Triple Crown. The all-around, the bronc riding, and the bull riding in the same year. Right now, he is number one in all three. Uh, has won over $500,000 this year in the bull in uh, the all-around race in the PRCA. Quite a story developing for Stetson Wright. Remember what he did last year, $927,000, and uh, he is ahead of where he was last year at this time with a lot of money still to win uh we're going to take a time out when we come back you will have a chance to hear from pickup man gary rempel who is working pendleton this year for the last time after 32 years at the pendleton roundup gary is a great story he has uh, been the uh, most 
selected pickup man at the Canadian Finals more than 20 times, nine times to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. Canadian Cowboy of the Year. We'll talk to Gary about that. And we'll talk to Wade Sankey, who is one of the multiple stock contractors at the Pendleton Roundup. Sankey Pro Rodeos and Phenom Genetics uh, bringing some great livestock to town. And, of course, one of the best stories of the year last year in the PRCA was the selection of that horse, Black Tie, as the Saddle Bronc of the Year. That is coming up, and we hope you will stay with us for those interviews on the way here on the Steve Kenyon Podcast. Our show today is being sponsored by Unbeatable Feeds. Unbeatable Feeds launched a brand-new forage-only feed earlier this month, a game-changer for horse owners across North America. It's grain-free, high-energy, low-sugar. Uh, you can check it out unbeatable feeds a feed you can trust we'll be back with more of the steve kenyon podcast prefer is proud to introduce estate fencing this unique all-metal fence uses the same swedge connecting rail as our popular ponderosa fence allowing it to flow beautifully along the contour of your land with rails and posts constructed from galvanized material covered with an architectural grade powder coat finish it resists fading rust and other outdoor conditions this fence is strong enough to last a lifetime and safe enough to house livestock best of all no welding required for more information visit prefertfence.com new styles join our time-tested justin bent rail collection like the rugged men and women who wear them. These boots stand for quality, integrity, tradition, and hard work. Straight from our legendary El Paso factory, our expert bootmakers build these boots with features that would make even the earliest cowboys proud. Outfit yourself today with a Bent Rail Collection by Justin. Episode 7 of the Steve Kenya Podcast, and we say thank you to Wrangler, the official Western Wear Pro Rodeo, Long Live Cowboys. And uh, we're at the Pendleton Roundup in Pendleton, Oregon. The Pendleton Roundup is an iconic rodeo. This year, the folks in Pendleton tell me one of the biggest years they've ever had in terms of people coming to town, in terms of contestant turnout. Uh, they had two big days of slack. Normally, Tuesday prior to the first performance on Wednesday is the big slack day in Pendleton. They had two big days of slack uh, this year at the Pendleton Roundup starting on Monday. Of course, the Extreme Bulls finale. If you've never been to Pendleton, put this one on your bucket list. It is a great rodeo. It's been on Gary Rempel's bucket list for 32 years. Rempel is one of the most well-recognized pickup men in the country. There's probably not a big rodeo in the United States or Canada that Gary Rempel has not picked up at at some point or another in his decades-long career. Started in the mid-1980s. He worked Pendleton for the first time in 1991. And this year, after 32 years at the Pendleton Roundup, will be working the Pendleton Roundup for the final time. I sat down with Gary Rempel, one of the greatest pickup men ever, to talk about his career. Pendleton Roundup and talking to an icon, pickup man Gary Rempel, um, who has since, what, the mid-1980s, Gary, your first rodeo, uh, been recognized as one of the legends. This is your final year in Pendleton since 1991, I think. Um, that's got to tug at you a little bit, doesn't it? It is. It's, uh, it's been a, pr a privilege to be here that long. This is one of the best rodeos going and an awesome, awesome rodeo committee. And the atmosphere around here is something else. Talk more about Pendleton in a minute. Let me ask you about getting started. Um, 
your dad was a part-time pickup man, right? Uh, doubled up at a rodeo in Canada back in like 1984, 85, and all of a sudden Gary Rimple's a pickup man. Yeah, I did. It was for Jerry Myers back in Saskatchewan. And dad picked up for Jerry for years. And I always wanted to start, but Jerry never ever took me too serious about things until he finally really needed someone. And so uh, I got the call. And then I was worked for them for years and years until, uh, well, until I, well, Donnie Peterson bought Jerry out and worked for Donnie for years. And then uh, moved down here, started working. Well, we're working for Calgary Stampede, basically, and traveling and going everywhere Calgary went. So, yeah. Um, nine times a national finalist, which I think is the most of anybody at the NFR. 20, 21 times? 21 times at the Canadian finals. Um, did you have, in your wildest dreams when you went to that first rodeo and when you were starting your career, did you have any idea that it would end up being like that? No, I certainly didn't. You know, like when my brother and Wade, my brother Wade and I started picking up, it was in Saskatchewan there, and we picked up mostly uh, a Canadian Cowboys Association, which was an amateur, very good amateur association. And our goal was to pick up their finals. Right. Well, we did that together 19 times, I think, and Wade's actually been there like 30-something. Mm -hmm. And then our next goal was the Canadian finals. So Wade and I picked that up together four times, and I picked it up with several other guys. And then... You know, I went back for the Canadian finals for several years, and then all of a sudden I made the NFR for the first time. Right. And so then they started taking me back to the Canadian finals, and so I worked, worked both of them for you know, several times. Your biography on your website mentions being self-taught. I tried to teach myself how to play golf. It was a disaster. Um, and obviously what you did worked. How did you learn? How, do, how does one develop the skills that it takes to be a really good and in your case great pickup man well i think when wade and i started um we were born and raised on a ranch like we have we understood livestock and i think that's a huge huge part of it and then you just start and you just go and you and i mean if you're paying attention you'll figure out when you're doing something wrong and when you do something right and so we were basically self-taught and then I started going to Calgary, working for Winston Bruce. And Winston was a sticker on bucking horses and how to handle them and what to do. Well, Wayne Vold was his main pickup. I was going to ask you about Wayne Vold, too. He was his main pickup man at that time. And uh, I'd never met Wayne before. So anyways, uh, he's the man, and he's turning horses back, and I'm just a green kid from Saskatchewan. <laughs> and and I, I found out in a hurry that Wayne Vold was going to bring most of those horses right back to where they started from. And for the first few performances, I was trying to go around the outside like you were going out to gather the milk cows. And by the time I got back to where Wayne had everything done. So I figured out the best place for me was by the chutes because 97% chance that Wayne's going to bring them back there. So then you just step out and do things. Well, the story on that, the reason I got to go to Calgary in the first place was Gerald Shockey was the guy that used to pick up with Wayne. And Gerald, uh, he was at the rodeo in Clovis, and he ended up getting an aneurysm. So uh, then he was supposed to be picking up in Calgary. Well, Winston had seen me picking up at an amateur rodeo, and I got the call. Like, first of all, Winston invited five pickup men to come in and, and fill in for Gerald right. with Wayne. So I went up there, and we had enough bucking horses at that time. We had slack on Monday and Tuesday. 
So I got the slack performances plus the rodeo performances. And I was the last guy to come up there. So Wayne had been through these guys. So about halfway through the first performance, Wayne says to me, he says, how many days you got here? Yeah. And I said, just two. He just shook his head and rode away. Well, I got the nod from, from, from well, Winston got the nod from Wayne that I was the guy that he wanted right. to work with. And so then I was there. Well, this was my 39th year in Calgary, which was my last one. But I wa Wayne Bold was a master at turning horses back. And I, I watched him. And I, well, I, I thank Wayne for, well, I watched him and learned from him, put it that way. And for him to ride up to you and say, okay, how many days you got? And then go off to somebody and say, hey, that, that kid over there, that, that big tall kid over there, I want him a few extra days. That's got to be, as you look back on it, that's got to be gratifying all by itself. It was awesome. A good feeling. A really good feeling. And one other thing I really got a kick out of one time, and Wayne never ever said too much, you know, and we worked really good together. Well, one day bareback riding was over and it was awesome like horses everything was perfect and uh, we're riding back to the catch pen and uh, Wayne says to me he says I hope they were taking notes because we just put on a, a, a clinic and I that really made me feel good yeah really should you know one of the things that and I've actually in my announcing I've started trying to suggest that from time to time people in the audience watch bullfighters before a bull ride is over and pick up men before they actually start to move in and take care of a bucking horse and take care of a bucking horse rider. The reason being, I really think there's a there's an art that nobody who hasn't done it, I haven't done it, I don't understand it. You guys know where a guy's going to land before he does, I think, don't you? I mean, there's there's an art to, to what you do, and, and if people would watch it, I think they, they'd kind of figure out what you're looking at and what you're seeing. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, you are. And another thing with a lot of people don't know, um, and different contractors have got di different ideas on how they want their horses handled and stuff. Winston was Winston Bruce, like I said, was a mastermind with bucking horses. He wanted he wanted a horse kind of patterned. You know, some horses, I mean, they just flat buck, and they just they don't cover much ground, but they just buck. Well, there's a lot of mediocre horses that if you can, you know, like they'll get up there and cover too much ground. Well, if you can get them kind of circling around and shortening them up, and some they buck better. They buck better, and you can get a guy an extra two, three points, and so that's what we tried to do all the time. So a lot of times you'll see guys sitting out in the arena in front of a bucking horse or something. That's the program is to try to get the horse kind of shortened up and coming around. And if you get the right guy on one of them horses, they can win a rodeo on them. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that makes perfect sense. And, again, it's something that most of us don't think about until you explain it to you, and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, light bulb moment. Um, that's exactly what, what you see and exactly what you see happening. Gary, I, nobody can do what you do without great horses. And um, I've always thought of you as one of the best horsemen I've ever had the pleasure of knowing. But – I know in looking back on your bio, for example, you mentioned one horse in particular, a horse called Rainbow, I think was in. Was, were there two or three that just really stuck out to you as the best horses you rode? Yeah, Rainbow was by far the best horse I've ever had. I've had a lot of good ones, yeah. and but he was the best. No matter what you wanted that horse to do, like some horses are better in the bareback riding or bronc riding or whatever, whichever you feel more comfortable and they feel more comfortable in doing, but he was equally as good everywhere and the thing about him when I went I moved down to Montana and I got 
a, a job on a ranch, a huge ranch there close to Great Falls for the off season. And they had that horse there and he was gonna to go to the can. He was a little on the bronchy side and, and uh, they, they wouldn't let anybody ride him anymore for insurance reasons and all kind of stuff like this. Well, I bought him yeah. and I paid, 30, uh, I paid $1,000 for him. And uh, he wasn't, he, I mean, he would buck a little bit but nothing serious, nothing that, shoot, we had all kinds of horses that back at home there in Saskatchewan, a heck of a lot worse than he ever thought of being. And so by spring, um, I was picking up off him. And he just was a natural, um, an awesome horse. And uh, he, I retired him. The last year I went to the finals, I was short a horse. And uh, one of my better horses was, couldn't take him. So I'd actually retired Rainbow the year that in 13 so I got the finals again in 16 right. and uh, I brought him in and rode him and he felt as good as anything else I had <laughs> so I told Jody he unretired I knew tired <laughs> I told Jody I said uh, I think I'm going to take Rainbow for my sixth horse my spare are you sure I said yeah he feels good well I got to give her credit she rode that horse just about every night after work got him in shape and he was awesome yeah, yeah. um what makes a good pickup horse um I, my brief career where I tried to announce horseback, if I could borrow a pickup man's horse, I always would, because I figured they were broke, they were bomb-proof, they, they had been there and done that. What makes a good pickup horse? What do you look for in a horse if you're going to say, okay, I want to see if I can make that one into a pickup yeah. horse? Well, you know, it's hard to say until you start picking up off them whether they're going to be good. You know, some horses you can pick up off of, right. but it's a struggle. It's, a, it's work for you because they really don't care for it. And you can make them work, but it's, it's, it's work for you, too. And then you get a horse like Rainbow or several that I other had. You could sit by the chutes, and uh, when that gate opened, he wanted to go. Right. He wanted to go to them. And those are the nice. But as far as what you're asking, like a little attitude don't hurt nothing. Right. And they got to be, um, I don't know what you, kind of what you call it, but they, can t they have to be able to take the bumps and want to go back there again. I've had horses that were kind of liver-hearted, you know, like chicken-hearted, and they get kicked or, or not kicked, but bumped a little hard. Well, the next horse, you got to really work at getting them in there. There is, both for horse and rider in the pickup business, there's some pushing and shoving that goes on, isn't there? I mean, it's, it's I, I think, as near as I can tell, you've only had one injury where I think you broke your leg or something once upon a time, but you guys... There's there's a lot of bumping and grinding that goes into this business. Well, there is. I mean, if you're if everything's going right, it's pretty pretty straightforward. You kind of slide in there, and I mean, you don't want to bump about. I mean, you yeah, like you said, there's a little bumping and stuff going on, but you don't you try to stay away from that. I mean, obviously, you're right in there, and the bucking horse might be ducking and diving, and well, of course, he's going to bump into you, you know, and stuff like that. Theoretically, you don't really want to do that because you're kind of messing the horse up and you're kind of might be hitting the guy's leg or whatever and he's squealing at you because that's hurting too well, obviously so you just kind of want to feather in there just right but yeah there is some pushing going on and when you get kicked or hurt like you get your horse like it's because of something that didn't go quite right you know you're just all of a sudden a bucking horse might turn that you're not expecting and you can't get out of the way that's when you usually get kicked other than that, it's mostly straightforward. It's not too bad. Let me talk about a couple of accolades you've received. 2009, I think, the Canadian Cowboy of the Year in the Canadian Professional Rodeo Association. What would that honor mean to you? 
it meant a lot because I I've known guys that I've got it. You know, I, they're all cool guys that I used to see rodeoing and stuff and knew some of them and stuff like that. And it's one of them things that you never think you're going to get. And then of course they didn't tell me. And then in the middle of their performance, they called me over and I'm yeah. like, what's what's the scoop what's here? What's here? going on? Well, then they give, well, what the heck? You know, like I didn't expect that. And then when they give it to me, I was standing there like a dummy. Like, holy shit, like I'm just getting this. And I'll never forget Harvey Northcott. I don't know if you ever knew Harv. I never did. Great, greatest guy ever. He is sitting right there where he used to sit watching the rodeo all the time. And I looked over and Harv's looking at me, kind of grinning, and he gives me a thumb up. Yeah. And I thought that was, I'll never forget that. That was the coolest thing just to see Harvey, the guy that I had so much respect for and stuff like that, give you a thumbs up, and that was awesome. 2013, you went in the Ellensburg Rodeo Hall of Fame, and the interesting thing to me about that induction, I remember talking about this at the time, Graded Coconut went in that same year, a horse you had a tremendous amount of history, obviously, with. Oh, well, yeah, Graded Coconut was, like, awesome. And uh, that to go in the same time as him, but I, I don't know if I... I don't. Th I meant to tell that story that night, and I didn't get it done. But at Pinocchio one time, and this was in the short round, and uh, Heath Ford had drew graded coconut. When I used to turn him back right there all the time, and he bucked him off in about three jumps and claimed he got fouled. Well, whether he did or he didn't, they give him a re-ride. So as I tripped the flank, where the horse never went 20 feet and had the flank off him, hardly even warmed the horse up. And so as I'd taken him out, Raymond Goodman at the time was the kind of the ranch manager and running things. And, and I, I just said, Raymond's standing right there. And I said, Raymond, bring him back. He looked at me, he says, okay. So they just circled him back and brought the same horse back. And Heath got on, which you can do right, if, if everybody's. Right. So Heath got on him. Well, he didn't follow him this time, foul him. And he bucked him off in one jump sooner <laughs> than he did the first time. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, 2014, you were inducted into this Hall of Fame in Pendleton. Um, one of the guys you went in with was Clint Corey, um, who I'm sure you picked up hundreds of times in your long career and in Clint's long career. You, you have to have developed a relationship with so many of those guys. I mean, I, I, I watch every once in a while. I actually wonder what's being said because I see conversation going on between some guy that's trying to get off a bucket horse and a pickup man. And I always wonder if it's, okay, get me off of this thing. Or if it's, what are you doing for dinner later? You want to go have a beer after a while? Or, you know, I mean, I, I, I always wonder about that relationship that's developed between you guys. Well, there's some guys that are like Casey Fields, for instance. Casey's an awesome guy and a really nice guy. But that, I've never seen a bareback rider in so much control of everything right. what's going on around him. The whistle will go, you'll ride in there. Hey, Gary, how you doing? Yeah, I haven't seen you for a while. <laughs> and, I mean, just like that. Yeah. And, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. And Clint Corey was one of the, the nicest guys ever. I mean, and humble and just a good guy. Yeah. And he, you know, he always talks, but he hung up here one time and... I can hardly remember it, but he did. He, he, the same night we went in there, he thanked me for it with the, at the deal there. So, no, there's some awesome guys. Yeah. You know, Casey's interesting. Casey is the is the bareback rider who taught me that there is, in fact, horsemanship in bareback riding. Yeah. That you can, as you mentioned, control to his... I always figured you were just kind of at the mercy of the horse, and Casey said, no, there's horsemanship involved if you're doing it right. Well, yeah, and he is so cool about everything. Yeah. And, I mean, he'll be joking with you or whatever you know as he gets off and 
he'll just might hang on your back of your horse for a couple minutes and stick his tongue in your ear. Who knows what he's going to do? <laughs> I mean, he's just that way. Oh, that's funny. So tell me about picking up in Pendleton. The, the, first, the first question people always ask about the Pendleton Roundup is, what about the grass? How much does that change? Are you putting ice nails on all your horses? Are you doing all that kind of stuff? How much does it change what you do as a pickup man, or does it at all? Yeah, it, it, I don't put ice nails on, and some of the other guys do. I never have. But one thing about the grass in Pendleton here, like, you can't make, you've got, you've got to let things happen in front of you. Like, you got to get a regular rodeo where you're on dirt. You can actually kind of make things happen. But out here, you you got to let stuff happen in front of you and just kind of react to it because you got to be careful. I mean, it is slick, slick out there. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But if you just kind of slow down, and let stuff happen, um, you should get by okay. You talked about circling horses back and trying to help them to buck. In Pendleton, horses will, horses that maybe would normally stack up sometimes will hit that grass and take off. Is there anything you can do to help them? Not really. You know, some of the horses, like with Calgary horses I was so used to, and some of them ones that would turn back, especially in the bareback riding, I could keep them on the, gra- on the ground. Yeah, but if they get out there too far, you kind of want to just leave them alone. You don't want anything coming around real tight because they're in, it's not like they slip a little bit and it spooks them and then they cut out. And some bucking horses like will go out there and hit that just before they hit the grass and then really stack up because it's it's different different uh, footing and stuff. You you were the bull roper for the. PBR here, and I'm, I'm sure you've roped a bunch of bulls in your line. I asked you about horses picking up bucking horses. Is it a completely different set of horses if you're if you're when you're in the bull riding, and if you think you're going to end up having to rope and drag some stuff? Well, the only thing you have to worry about in the bull riding is you got something that might pull. I mean, I mean some horses don't pull worth a darn. You need something that you can actually handle the bull on, and some horses get really hard to rope off, of, like roping bulls. If they get bumped a little bit, sometimes. And they know exactly how long your rope is, and the bulls will be standing there, and you'll be trying to get your horse close enough to get a shot at them. And that bull will wiggle an ear or do something, your horse will just cut out on you <laughs> just about the time you throw as a rule, and then your rope sails over top of the head, you look like a doe head. But anyways, yeah, you just have to have a horse that, I like them that they might get bumped a little bit, nothing to hurt them anything, but just kind of so they got the respect for that bull and so that you can still control them. But when you ask them to move, they better be moving. They need to get out of the way because I got my one of my horses in a bad spot here last year, and it wasn't good. It's just, yeah, it happens. Um, so let me ask you, what's next? You're you're not with you're obviously not in Calgary anymore. Um, this is your final year in Pendleton. Um, you're going to miss it, 2024. Uh, September's going to roll around. You're going to think, okay, why? Aren't, where, where am I supposed to be now? Um, but but what's next? You still got a lot to a lot I know you want to do and a lot you want to give. I I, I all I'm trying to do is to slow down a little bit. Um, try to stay closer to home. I haven't been home for 40 years, like other than a few months in the winter time, and um, I just wanted to slow down. If I can help some guys out around home a little bit, I've called a few people and they've they've talked to me. Um, C5 has asked me and hopefully maybe I can set something up with those guys. They're they're really good guys and and I like working for them. They've got good stock and everything. So we'll we'll see if we can come up with something. 
you're in the horse business too, right, Gary? Well, not so. I, I train horses. I, I used to train a lot in the off season, and I got so busy rodeoing that it was, it wasn't, it was hard to do. Um, I ride a few colts for guys and deal a few horses, but that's about it anymore. Um, of of your career, of the highlights of your career, of the many highlight moments. Before I let you go, are there one or two? moments and this is a horrible question because your career's lasted 40 years are there one or two moments that you look back on and think you know that was a special time that was something i'm always going to remember you know i i was afraid you were going to ask something like that and i was thinking that that's why i say it's a horrible question i know it's a horrible question up front well everyone kind of asks that or you know that question and i don't i can't pick one out i mean there's so many things have happened and uh i think one of the I mean, I'll obviously miss working Calgary horses. There's no doubt about that. Some of the best horses in the world. And I've had the privilege of working with them for 40 years. I mean, that's going to be hard to let go. But what I find is, like, our camp here in Pendleton is awesome. we got to pick up man camp here. And the friends that I've got will come through here. Like, I'll, I'll miss the rodeo part, don't worry. But I'll miss the friends that you have at every place, too. You're not retired, and so I... I don't anybody think from what I'm about to say that Gary's retiring completely. I made that mistake, and and Gary's still get, still going to compete. But the one thing about it, when you leave something, I don't care what the sport is, if it's basketball, if it's football, if it's hockey, if whatever, guys inevitably say, I'm going to miss the locker room. I'm going to miss the other guys. And that's what you're talking about with this pickup man camp here. It is, and we've got, like, there's six of us here. They're all great guys, great pickup men. And we're, I mean, I'm friends with all of them. There's all pickup men all over the world that I'm friends with and good guys and you you look forward to go and you're working with some other guys and stuff like that and yeah they're all your friends and you'll miss them. Gary I asked you for a few minutes I took a lot and I really appreciate your time congratulations on everything you've done thank you for everything you've done uh, for for professional rodeo this the thing that makes this sport great to me is the great people that we have and you're on that list, and uh, and I I sure appreciate your time. Thank you. Well, I thank you for doing it, and I will like I will miss miss it. There's no doubt about it. But ease around and help some people, and it'll be all good. Awesome. Uh, Gary Rempel joining us. Final year at the Pendleton Roundup since 1991. 32 years, Pendleton Roundup, something like that. Um, but uh, you're going to watch him and see him at a lot of rodeos coming up. I'm, I'll, I'll almost guarantee it. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Steve Kenyon Podcast. As pickup man Gary Rempel, truly one of the greatest of all time, joining us from the Pendleton Roundup in Pendleton, Oregon. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, Wade Sankey is continuing a family legacy as a rodeo producer, as a stock contractor, Sankey Pro Rodeo and Phenom Genetics, one of the multiple stock contractors in Pendleton at the Pendleton Roundup. I had a chance to sit down and talk to Wade about his family history and about the great livestock he's producing today, including the reigning saddle bronc of the year, Black Tide. That's coming up today's episode number seven of the Steve Kenyon Podcast, being sponsored by Resist All. We wear it every day. We'll be right back.
Radio fans, the Grandview at Las Vegas has become one of the most popular destinations for visitors from around the world during the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. People love the big, comfortable rooms, just far enough from the hustle and bustle of the Strip, but close enough to have a great time. The Grandview is right next door to the South Point and just minutes from the Thomas and Mac. Make your reservation today. Go to dailymanagementresorts.com. The Grandview at Las Vegas. During the Pendleton Roundup, I had a lot of fun. Of course, coming to Pendleton is kind of a homecoming for me. We lived in Pendleton for a lot of years before moving to Texas. But in the opportunity to go to the Pendleton Roundup, one of the things I really wanted to do was just kind of see who I bumped into and see who I found and see who I could sit down and visit with for a few minutes and help to share a story. Well, White Sankey and his family have got a Pretty good story to tell. Sankey Pro Rodeo and Phenom Genetics today, uh, one of the multiple stock contractors providing livestock in Pendleton, and you can bet that they will be well represented in December at the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. I had a chance to visit with Wade Sankey, Sankey Pro Rodeos and Phenom Genetics. Pendleton Roundup, and uh, we're about to let her buck. Stock contractor Wade Sankey is uh, joining us, the second generation of the Sankey family to bring livestock to the Pendleton Roundup. Your dad um, was here for a lot of years, Wade, before you you became the, the, the Sankey Pro Rodeo Company and Phenom Genetics. Now, um, this is this is a special rodeo to have a chance to be a part of, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. This is the most unique rodeo event that there is in the world. Yeah. Um, how many horses did you bring? How many bulls did you bring? Uh, we got 36 horses and 23 head of bulls. Talk to me. I want to talk to you about your your livestock in particular. Your your horse Black Tie is having another amazing year after winning the stock uh, the the Saddle Bark of the Year award last year. But before I do that, let me ask you about setting up the stock in Pendleton and and you know they 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 have taken on the role kind of 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 the roundup really i think tries to help to work with all of you guys to select what they want to come how is that how is the stock selected for this rodeo well there's a lot of people that have say so in that the contestants do through their event directors and then the roundup board has say so through their livestock director which is justin terry and you take the directors and you take justin you take me and all the other contractors and everybody puts in their opinion and then the directors will set the short round, and then we'll work backwards from the short round to set the long rounds in each event. You know, I've, I've heard guys tell stories about back in the day, um, you didn't really want to be up on Friday. You wanted to try to be up maybe on Wednesday or Thursday because those were the horses that had come back for the short, or the bulls that would come back for the short round on Saturday. It's not like that anymore. No, you know, I don't think we need to do that anymore because the quality of livestock has improved that much, and so everything is set for the short round, and they'll just get bucked one time here. How's your year going? It's a great year. It's There's grass at home. It, it rained this summer. So that's such a big part of our job. You know, that's just like pennies from heaven. Yeah. It's just money falling out of the sky and it's less hay that we got to buy. And so that helps our bottom line. And it, it, it's the base to everything that we do. So it's just like ranchers having a good year, a bad year. We have the same thing. I want to ask you a question you've been asked probably a million times in your life, but the Sankey legacy in the world of professional rodeo from your dad on through um, there, this is, this truly is, uh, you inherited something when, when you became the Sankey Rodeo Company that has, you inherited a legacy that is, has 
built from a strong foundation, and you've done nothing, I think, but improve on it. Um, but th- talk about about your family background and this hero- history and this legacy. Well, so it goes back to my grandfather, which would be Ike's dad, and he was he was around rodeos a little bit and was always in the Western lifestyle and always rode and trained horses and. The story about how it all got started in rodeo really was my uncle Lyle, who is a multi-time NFR qualifier, actually qualified in all three rough stock events. Um, Lyle is Ike's older brother, and so the story is Lyle was at a showmanship class, and the first prize for the showmanship class was that he got entered into the junior rodeo, and so he won the showmanship class, and then, of course, if Lyle's going to go, then Ike is going to go, and they decided they probably better practice a little bit beforehand and they had you know cattle and horses around that place in kansas and rose hill where they grew up and they just started practicing built them a buck and shoot went to the junior rodeo and the way they tell the story is they get there and they're kind of ribbing each other like how about these guys they got their buck and shoot gates on backwards and then they learned real quick after going to that one rodeo that it's a lot easier on your knees if you put your shoot gates on the other way and that's really where it all started was from Ike and Lyle and the competition between brothers and they just you know they like making money and they could make money doing it and it all came from their practice livestock that they started practicing on themselves and then once Ike took it over he moved to Wyoming and he started putting on rodeos professionally and quit riding bucking horses and then it all goes from there still ropes I saw he he placed in what, Ellensburg or someplace in the stair rope in the other day? Yeah, he placed in Lewiston, actually. Yep, yeah. one-seventh, $256. Awesome. I never have another poor day if you keep doing that. Um, your your stock today, the black tie, is one of the greatest stories in profession. Go to Wade's YouTube channel and watch the video about two years ago now, 2021. The horse got hurt in Cheyenne. You did some things that maybe a lot of stock contractors would not have done. They won the Pendleton Roundup on that horse last year. They have won... Seems to me like every time I look, there are 90 on him someplace this year. Um, he is, he is, is he the signature of, of your program right now? You've got so many great horses, so many great bulls with Matt Sharping, but Black Tie to me is somebody kind of special. Yeah, you know, um, Black Tie kind of goes against what I'm about to say, but I think our signature throughout the history has always been the equal quality yeah. of chances for contestants. You know, we feel like there's more chances to place or win first on our herd than there is in most other herds. Now, if you take black tie, there goes first place, yeah. unless somebody makes a mistake. Um, but as far as a signature animal, that's absolutely a signature animal, not just for us, but for the sport of rodeo, since he has that story. Yeah. Um, the horse the horse could have, could he have been in a position where he might, some guys might have put him down? I mean, was he there that badly? No, he, he was never in, in the situation where you would have had to put him down, but right. he was in a situation to where, his quality of living would have would have always been less than it would than it should have been so he would have been crippled the rest of his life and that's honestly why we did the surgery we've got a new generation of horses coming every year and this might sound really arrogant but if if black tie goes away we're still in business we still have our jobs we did it for his quality of living we never thought he'd ever perform again especially not to the level that he did before and it actually had the adverse effect to where he came back bigger and badder than he's ever been, and he's still doing it. 
Um, your bloodlines, are they, do a lot of them go back to your dad? Have you added to them since, how, how, how have your bloodlines evolved in your, in your herd of horses? And then I want to talk to you about your partnership with Matt and the Bulls. Well, you know, genetics is something that nobody has an answer to. It's yeah. a crystal ball sort of situation. And I've tried to breed everything off of how they had been bred in the past. So not breeding them the same way, but kind of looking at, you know, these mares are producers and these studs are producers. And the bottom line is you breed the best of the best and hope for the best. And it's everybody always wants to know the secret and there is no secret. You got to be lucky. There is. there. It's, it's amazing to me in the stock contracting business. You know, we... I've got some barrel racing horses at my house, and it's five years before you know if you're going to have a, 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 a horse that's, that's, that's worth trying to run. You guys are in the same boat, but instead of dealing with a few horses, you're dealing with how many a year? 100? 75? 150? How many a year? Well, we, we only raise 18 to 30 head of colts a year. Huh. Yeah, so um, we've got 16 baby colts that are, were born this spring, and that's the most we've ever had is 35. Mm-hmm. But I, you don't know. I mean, you, you really don't. You hope they all work out. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it's generational. And one thing that I'm a firm believer in is everybody thinks that it is strictly genetics, which it 100% is. But there's a little more to it than that because of the proper care and the proper handling. For hundreds of years, people have been trying to take the buck out of livestock in order to put them to work, to be, uh, you know, saddle horse or a driving horse or whatever job you're going to have that horse do they can't buck so they've been trying to stop horses from bucking for hundreds of years and just in the last hundred years maybe 120 years we've been trying to put that skill back into horses and we know how to keep them from bucking in order in order to make them buck there's nothing you could do or we wouldn't have a job if if we wanted to stop them from bucking we could do that instantly so our job is just to allow them to do what comes natural to them through breeding yeah Yeah, i've never heard anybody word it that way but it's it's one of the greatest explanations of bucking horses i've ever heard um is yeah you don't i mean we're we're always trying to get them gentle down and get them broke and get them so they won't buck but there are a lot of them that just want to buck yeah Um, i actually heard that from bill larson he's the one that told me that um so your partnership with Matt Sharping, Phenom Genetics. Um, by the way, what you guys did last year when Reed Off did all got hurt to me is still one of the, you know, there, there are a lot of great stories that come out of rodeos giving back, and that was one of the great stories of the year a year ago. And I just wanted, while you're sitting there, just wanted to say that. But um, Matt's a heck of a bull guy. Yeah, well, I, I got to talk a little bit about the Reed deal, too. You know, Reed's from Minnesota, and Matt's known him a long time. And so Matt did all the legwork on that deal, all the work on that deal. But I have to say that most of that credit goes to Stetson Wright because him and Matt sat down and decided they were going to do something for him. And just the stuff that Stetson did, you know, selling his one of his saddles from the NFR, and he did a lot of stuff that was above and beyond what anybody should ever be expected to do. Um, and raised, I, I never did hear a final number, thousands, thousands, tens of thousands of dollars closer to a hundred thousand maybe more i think it was over a hundred thousand yeah but that's all from the contestants you know all the contestants there was bulldoggers tie down ropers everybody you know signed a shirt and sent it or sent money or did something to benefit for that deal um tell me about matt and tell me about his his i mean he has hauled raised bred 
some of the greatest bulls that have that, that folks have had a chance to watch by. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Matt is not from rodeo, and that's such a great story. But there's Matt and I own Sankey Pro Rodeo and Phenom Genetics, and it's really great to have somebody that's from such a different background to shine light on it from his perspective. So it's hard growing up in something. I think a lot of people in rodeo struggle. I don't know if they realize this, but they struggle with not being able to see it through somebody else's eyes. Sure. And that's really great for Matt to be there and have that that knowledge available. Talk about that perspective with Matt. He did not grow up. I, I, I don't even know that story. Talk about where, where he came from. Well, uh, Matt grew up on a farm in Minnesota, yeah. on, on the family farm. And then he was driving race cars and selling tools out of a mobile tool truck and he was just can i say kicking ass on there he, i mean he was kicking ass he was doing a great job on it and then just decided he wanted to get into something different and next thing you know he accidentally buys a rodeo heifer a rodeo cow online when he was looking for a barrel horse for his daughter uh-huh. and thought now what am i going to do where am i going to keep it yeah. and that's actually what started where he is now. He transitioned his entire life from never being around rodeo to where he is now, which is raising some of the best rodeo bulls in the world. Um, you have taken, I mentioned your YouTube channel earlier, you've taken advantage of technology. You haven't been afraid to go out and get somebody to edit together a really nice piece for you that, um, and, and to get into the podcasting business and all that kind of fun stuff. You've, you've, you've been fairly progressive in all of that way. Well, you know, the family legacy deal is the, is the buck and horses, and it always will be. But the family legacy has always been production yeah. at events and trying to do things that make rodeo better. And so Ike made the buck and horse industry better. He made the rodeo industry better through production and other things. He didn't have any access to this. So we can reach more people on social media channels now than he ever got access to. And we're just trying to tell our stories and try to bring more people into rodeo and explain what we do a little bit better. First time I ever had a chance to work for your dad, it was the first time I'd ever had the opportunity to be involved in a rodeo where um, we, we, we went through a rehearsal and we had, a, we had a timeline. We had all of those things. We have things that are fairly standard now. And I, I actually was almost a little bit intimidated by how well produced this all was and learned very quickly that I wanted the, to follow the Ike Sankey model for that reason. Um, and it was, uh, it was a real eye-opening experience for me as an announcer. Yeah, well, there's, you know, Ike wasn't the first guy to ever put on rodeos, and he wasn't the first guy to ever produce rodeos in a correct manner. He'd been to rodeos as a contestant for a long time, and he saw that there's good ways to do production, bad ways to do production, and there's Guys that he learned a lot from, like Jerome Robinson. Um, he worked closely with Sonny Linger, which was not the production guru, but he understood it. And, um, you know, it was just another opportunity to make things better. I don't want, before I let you go, Wade, I don't want to make the mistake of talking to you about the black tie and not talking to you about the rest of your herd, some of your up and coming rising stars horses that you are really proud of the the list of horses i'm sure that you're hoping will get selected to go to the nfr probably longer and we can talk about um mlw's iris eyes has been great all year this year that's another one that jumps at the top of my mind talk about some of those the the, the horses that you've really felt great about this year well 
you know, um, you know, the superstars are supposed to be the superstars. It's hard to get a superstar and it's hard to keep a superstar. And all we can focus on is doing the best job we can do at every single rodeo. So I'm not trying to be a politician and walk around your question, but it's a numbers game sure. and, and it's a depth chart yeah. issue. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And I love the idea that you've got, you know, you feel like you've got a herd where a guy's got a chance to place every time, no matter what he draws. Yeah, absolutely. And something else is we've got the next generation coming up. And if that old generation stays there too long, which we really try not to, we try not to use them any more than we really need to. Um, there's horses at home that are retired that I think could still be NFR candidates. But if we're bucking those horses, first of all, they don't owe us nothing. And second of all, we're not finding the next generation, which in theory, should be better than the ones we've got now. And I think history shows that. I bumped into Wade Sankey at the Pendleton Roundup, and I said, hey, I'd love to do an interview with you. He said, let's do it. So uh, we sat down, and we had a chance to visit, and I've, and I've really enjoyed this. Before I let you go, folks maybe don't understand exactly how horses get started. What do you, when, when they're two, when they're three, when they're four, um, I don't know if you start bucking them when they're four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds. I don't, I don't know how you work that with your program. How do you, how do you kind of get these horses? What do you do with them when they're colts, when they're babies, uh, before we start to see them in rodeo arenas? Or do you do anything with them? Well, you know, trade secrets. I can't yeah. divulge everything. But we try to let horses just be horses as much as we possibly can. Sure. Um, we don't do anything with them until they're three. We just turn them out in rough country and... Let them eat grass and just grow up as natural as possible. Be horses. Be horses, absolutely. And learn to think for themselves, which that's one thing about keeping animals healthy is if if they don't think for themselves, they're going to get their self in a bad situation. There's nothing we can do with these horses. Um, as far as the development of them, you know, we allow them to learn and we allow them to buck. So we'll, we'll dummy some horses as couple of times as threes or four-year-olds and I'm a little bit behind still because of COVID and college is being shut down and trying to get them to where they need to be to come to this level but um, we'll dummy them a couple of times and that really teaches them that nothing's going to hurt them it kind of teaches them to find their feet and be a little safer for when we do have a rider on their back and then after that we just try to allow them to buck best we can. Wait I appreciate your time. Yeah thanks Steve. Wade Sankey joining us. Check out the uh, Sankey Pro Rodeo and Phenom Genetics YouTube page and um, other social media sites, right? And, and you can find out, uh, like I say, Wade's done some, some really good stuff. That feature on uh, Black Tie, we, we shared it when I was with the Cowboy Channel on, on Western Sports Roundup, and it's a great story of what you did for that horse. Um, and I know you've, you've always got some new stuff there. Well, it's, it's a great story about what we did for that horse, but it's also a great story about what that horse has done for us and what horses are truly capable of. You know, everybody thinks that bucking horses are the de deplorables of the rodeo business, and that's absolutely not true. Wade Sankey, Sankey Pro Rodeos, Phenom Genetics. Thanks to Wade for his time on the Steve Kenyon Podcast. I always wrap this show up with the uh, Steve's Top 3, stories that have caught my eye, and uh, I want to do this real quick today because we've had a longer show than normal coming from the Pendleton Roundup. But here are the three things that I'm keeping an eye on. Number three is Brittany Posey-Tanazi, the barrel racer from Texas, two-time world champion. If you look at the Women's Professional Rodeo Association's website, 
Brittany in the barrel race has now won over $260,000. That's more than she won in her 2007 World Championship year. She won $279,000 in her 2009 World Championship year. Brittany Posey-Tanazi has put together and is putting together a potentially very historic 2023 rodeo season. Speaking of making history, more money won in the breakaway roping this year than ever before. Haley Williams has broken Martha Angeloni's earnings record post-NFR from last year, and there's still a few days left in the regular season this year. Haley's now won 200, or excuse me, $145,000. Shelby Beaujolais has broken Martha's record from last year. She's won $133,000. And I think the top story has to be the retirement of J.B. Mooney. Uh, J.B., who has been such an icon for so long, the very first champion of the American for $100,000, two-time PBR world champion. Talk about the money. Somewhere between 7 and $8 million. Qualifier to the Wrangler National Finals Rodeo. Broke his neck at the rodeo in Lewiston, Idaho um, earlier this month, and J.B. Mooney has announced that he is retiring from the sport of bull riding. And uh, J.B. Mooney gave so many fans so many thrills in his career. And uh, thank you for all the memories to J.B. Mooney. That's the Steve Kenyon Podcast, Episode 7. Uh, make sure you check out our 8 Seconds Media store. It's getting to be fall. We've got some really nice hoodies available on that store and available in, in addition to the T-shirts and the hats. We hope you'll take a look. Thanks for joining us. God bless everybody. I'm Steve Kenyon.